Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, you know, definitely a founder that has been able to build something really meaningful. And in fact, it took him quite a bit of time, you know, before he went at it and, and started to raise money. So he really thought about, you know, really hard and, and threw about product market fit and, and all of those great things that many of you all are probably dealing with today. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Chaitanya. Kalipatna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. I think you did quite a quite a hard effort in terms of pronouncing my first name and last name. It's not easy. Even it takes two pages in the immigration form. So, th- you know, thanks for uh, saying it out loud and for inviting me to the show. Pleasure to be here. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. It's lovely to have you. So, Chaitanya, tell us about your upbringings because you were born and raised there in, in the south of India. So how was, how was life growing up there? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was born in south of India in a, um, near the coast uh, in Andhra, a region that's called, a place called Elo. And I had a middle class upbringing and, you know, very traditional in the sense that success is always equal to how well you perform in academics. So there's a lot of emphasis on um, um, on sticking to academics, acing the exams, etc., And uh, and uh, it's very conservative, so in a le- very uh, less risk-taking or very risk-averse, so I would say. And um, it's, it's just the first, uh, um, my brush with uh, opening up the Outlook happened uh, going to my undergrad at um, a university called uh, Birla Institute of Technology and Science, where I pursued uh, computer science. And uh, that, in fact, opened my eyes in terms of how education uh, could be an impactful, impactful uh, platform for us to open, uh, open our avenues as well as open our Outlook uh, to do greater things. And in this case, I mean, did, did you feel that social pressure in India, you know, for, for really high, you know, schooling and, and, and good degrees and, and perhaps what you put, what push you into information systems? Definitely. And until that juncture, um, you know, when um, to pursue the undergrad, when you're 17, 18, um, always, uh, you know, you're in that uh, bubble um, to uh, pushing you to perform, uh, but uh, I think thanks to the you know education and the ecosystem that uh, I was exposed to at my undergrad and later uh, at my MBA, I was able to make some choices which have uh, you know defined uh, how I would uh, I think how others would have expected me to go, and I'm very happy about that. 
So tell us about landing the internship at INSEAD, because obviously this was a really big breakthrough in your in your life. It is true. Um, so it's just that uh, my undergrad university, they have um, uh, a six-month internship program, you know, and they have some within India uh, with companies in India and some outside. So at that time, um, you know, working, um, you know, when you are like 20, 21, uh, getting to work outside of India is very, very glamorous. And um, I was at that time when I uh, when I was applying, I haven't heard much of INSEAD uh, nor about business schools. It's only after I landed there I understood the gravitas of that institution. So um, uh, as luck would have it, uh, you know, I applied and uh, you know got selected. We seldom, uh, you know, don't give enough importance to luck, but uh, it should be given. So. Um, Getting to INSEAD really, uh, you know, opened my eyes in terms of the um, further impact that uh, you know higher education would could have um, on a professional's career, and um, that definitely is a tipping point, as you've mentioned. So then, why did you decide to switch to some microsystems? What happened there? So uh, the INSEAD was just a six-month internship, so I had to, um, you know, um, I had to get back to a regular um, a role. And uh, so that's why, you know, I had a campus placement at Sun Microsystems, again, a great company, and uh, was doing interesting work on uh, web services and, um, you know, application servers at that time. So, and also uh, great to, you know, um, be autonomous and earn your own bread, so to say. So I took it. I was there for a year in Bangalore, which was buzzing at that time in 2002. And uh, in the process, um, I always, um, you know, had some, um, you know, as uh, always have uh, had a connect at uh, INSEAD and uh, a role uh, came up towards the end of 2002. And that's how I had a chance to uh, go back to INSEAD uh, to work on product management of uh, a couple of pedagogical tools that they use in executive education. So so in this case, I mean, like you were saying, I mean, you went back to INSEAD uh, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, there you were able to really be part of, of, of seeing, you know, from a really big 30,000 foot view, the whole high, like, like the whole educational system, like for like the, the master's degrees and, and really like high quality education. Sure. Uh, I know that, that after doing this for a couple of years, you went back to India uh, and, and here's where you met your co-founder and you started to brainstorm a world, you know, where education, you know, could be more accessible. So tell us about how you found your co-founder and what was that process, that brainstorming process like? Sure. I think uh, at INSEAD, right, so not only um, how the impact it, um, it has delivered on uh, for uh, MBA graduates, it's also in, on executive education, how um, the school or the institutions of that caliber can deliver impact to corporates or to uh, people who come for its open en- enrollment programs. I, I, was, I had a ringside view of, uh, of uh, seeing that, and um, it just... Uh, uh, Post that, you know, uh, post my experience at INSEAD, I also, you know, got my MBA there and uh, that it just reinforced that, uh, you know, this is something uh, I would love to make a dent or, uh, you know, be involved in, in terms of in the the sphere of executive education and more precisely high quality executive education that makes an impact. So after that, I, you know, uh, came to India in terms of, um, you know, toying in with this idea and, um, um, trying to do, um, uh, you know, how, how we could take this to market. And uh, again, um, um, it's because of the me and my co-founder, we were introduced by a common friend who was an INSEAD alum. Um, and um, um, we just uh, hit it out uh, because we shared the same mission. Uh, you know, both of us were beneficiaries of high-quality education. He went to Harvard Business School. I went to INSEAD. And both of us had to pack our bags, get highly leveraged in the process in terms of taking the student loan, 
went there, not everybody might have had the chance uh, or might have had the time uh, to, to do so. So what our intent was that can we, how can we make this kind of um, high quality education more accessible and more affordable uh, to people uh, worldwide or to a greater set of people? So that's what uh, you know we were trying to solve, and that's what we were. Uh, and that's the kind of challenge we thought that uh, you know we could take a crack at, and that's how um, you know Eruditus was born. And uh, yeah, ten years ago. So then, so then in this case, so so let's talk about taking the idea to action because mm-hmm. I mean that that was probably not an easy process and. And I'm sure that it was quite challenging. So, so how did you guys go about that? Yeah, so I think this has to do. Our initial, um, you know, premise was that you know we can uh, put together uh, some high quality content, right? In terms of what people, um, uh, what what executives, working professionals would need, and um, assemble some of the best faculty that are out there, and uh, you know, conduct uh, executive programs. So we had all the ingredients, so to say, um, for um, uh, for economic success in terms of you know um, having a blockbuster program in terms of enrollments. But uh, some of our program, the first uh, program we did was a failure. Right. So our stepping stone was a failure. It was never a linear success, so to say. So um, and uh, then we realized that it didn't have the product market fit because one, um, what we realized is we need a brand um, uh, to carry this this kind of a program, uh, even though, uh, you know, we are um, we are trying to in, in, in pockets, we are getting the best of everything, be it the content or be it the faculty. And that's what. Uh, you know, gave us the chance to refine our or pivot our model to say that okay, if you were to do something in executive education or uh, in um, educa- educating working professionals, we have to have or an association or a collaboration with some of the uh, one of the top academic institutions, right? And uh, you know, we knocked on uh, multiple doors, and uh, it was never an um, easy um, easy um, uh, path uh, to convince the first uh, uh, partner uh, to come on board. And, um, um, you know, I had a, a connect with INSEAD because I worked in executive education there. And at the same time, they had a strategic initiative in terms of um, uh, wanting to do something uh, in executive education in India. So I think we had a, a meeting of the mind, so to say, in terms of the opportunity. And that's how our first program was um, uh, was born, which is to do a general management program for um, uh, mid to senior executives in India. And, you know, it's interesting here because, you know, talking about these types of partnerships, I mean, I know them firsthand and, you know, I had to develop them from for one of my previous companies, but dealing with universities, there's a lot of red tape. So how, how do you guys work around that? Yeah, it's it's uh, not actually red tapes because, um, you know, the institutions didn't become the institutions of that um, caliber, uh, uh, you know, uh, because of some... Uh, um, you know, d- despite the barriers that you, uh, the stereotypes that are that are existing, or people think about it, we do. Um, uh, we, um, I think, in that sense, in our journey, there's very. Um, we seldom give enough credit for timing and for luck, and we should uh, definitely do so for us, right? So we um, we started doing this or uh, trying to scale this model at the time when universities uh, are trying to look at markets outside their home turf right uh, for example uh, we went to INSEAD INSEAD uh, you know it has its presence in um, uh, in Singapore and in uh, um, and in uh, Fontainebleau in France as well as they're uh, at that time starting the Middle East campus they want they had a strategic initiative to do something in India similarly Wharton who is a second partner they are extremely strong in US and they were trying to expand their footprint uh, to the emerging markets right so uh, so the timing was uh, was equally important there so we knocked on the doors at the right moment 
with these institutions which were trying to expand the wings much further uh, in terms of uh, increasing their impact and that has uh, helped us and um, um, all the um, schools that we spoke about in fact um, you know we run programs um, um, with these institutions since the uh, since their inception so um, so all these programs are successful in their own right and the schools are uh, it, it also depends upon the leadership at these schools you know who are very very um, uh, forward thinking which has helped us um, to secure these partnerships at, at the same time uh, you know, scale them so so what did achieving product market fit look like so um for us, it, um, I think it's in phases. The first phase uh, for us is about um, um, having um, developing executive programs for um, mid to senior professionals working with some of the um, top you know, business schools. This was the first phase of our journey, uh, which happened between 2010 to 2013-14. And uh, that's when I think uh, the MOOC revolution was happening with uh, Coursera and edX, uh, you know, launching and scaling. Then we consciously took the call of uh, let's not go the MOOC way or a massive open online course way. Let's do a converse of it in terms of let's. Uh, for us, the learning outcomes are very very important. Maintaining that high quality education is very important. So we came up with a model of small private online course where you have smaller cohorts. The um, there are high, um, there are more touch points um, with the faculty or with the you know teaching facilitators at the same time the pricing is very very different um, and uh, in uh, in both these cases right so because of the institutions we work with and the kind of topics that we have um, um, that we have worked on based on our market research that uh, has led to a good product market fit in terms of uh, you know scaling these uh, scaling these uh, programs or the products in our portfolio so just for the people that are listening to really understand you know really the business model inside and out like how do you guys make money here so for us, uh, you think of us like a platform. On one side, we have our university partners, uh, with, uh, with which we try, we try, we go to them with market research, uh, develop programs. Um, it could be in multiple formats. It could be entirely online. It could be partially online, or it could be in class, right? And on the other side, we um, do the sales and uh, marketing uh, in terms of these programs to participants worldwide. In fact, so we. Currently, we work with 30 such university partners, which are globally renowned as well as regionally renowned, you know, be it in Latin America or in India or in China. Um, and on the other side, we cater to uh, working professionals. I think till over the past decade, we would have um, uh, cumulatively um, touched maybe 100,000, uh, you know, uh, participants uh, worldwide from 80 geographies. So, and in terms of how we make money is um, uh, typically with the, with the universities, we have a revenue share. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically how the um, revenue model works. So, I mean, in, in your guys' case, I mean, it took you a little bit of time to raise money. I mean, we're talking about six years. I mean, typically the, the model of the companies that, that one can think of in the Bay Area or perhaps, you know, in New York are those that, that right away, whenever they have an idea, they go out and they raise money. I mean, in your case, six years. Why did it take so long? Yeah, I think it's... Um... It's not that we've been uh, trying to raise money from year one. I think we, uh, I think first and foremost was uh, we bootstrapped it, you know, quite successfully. In fact, for the first six years, the first uh, 
um, uh, the first phase, as we would describe it, is for us to nail down the business model in terms of you know uh, work with these schools in an um, in an exceptional way in terms of making the programs that we run with them very very successful, right? And the uh, um, and uh, the first phase of our journey inherently has some scale issues in the sense that if you are running a program which has in class component, um, we could only get maybe fifty fifty five. Um, participants right more than that it's not possible because of the physical limitations so uh, a, so there is a there is an aspect of a constraint with respect to scale and it really opened up when we started offering online programs right so i think for us uh, we what we fundamentally believe is in terms of the best form of funding is from our uh, is from the participants or the students or the customers i think that's what we did in the first phase of our uh, journey and really uh, the question i think uh, anybody or uh, an entrepreneur should ask is that why do we need the money right so in the in the first phase of our uh, journey how we were developing the partnerships how we are um, you know uh, expanding our portfolio we really didn't uh, um, you know need the money to do what we are doing right or raise external funding to do what we are doing it only came into bearing when uh, we we were looking when we expanded the product portfolio to online courses and um, by definition there's a huge uh, um, advantage of scale in online in, in the sense if a course that we were doing in class has a 55 in online there is no such limitation right um, so i think that has um, and second uh, in terms of the openness of the universities to develop more um, uh, online courses meant that we needed capital one to expand our team uh, second um, uh, to uh, to reach the scale, as well as uh, you know, to work with the universities in terms of developing these uh, programs. So um, that's when, in 2015-16, um, we have uh, you know reached out. We had our first institutional raise with Bertelsmann, right? And um, they really helped us, uh, you know, open up. Uh, at that time, we were basically an emerging market play. And Bertelsmann coming in with their longer term view and uh, with the kind of uh, introductions to the ecosystem, they really helped us to think about um, um, Latin America, uh, China, and uh, you know, and uh, global markets. And that has helped us in terms of uh, you know spreading the wings or uh, the global f- footprint in our enrollments and scale. Because to date, how much capital have you guys raised? Raised. Till date, you know, we were um, lucky to count. Uh, you know, Bertelsmann. Then we had Sequoia. Then most recently, uh, we raised uh, funds from Chan Zuckerberg, uh, Leeds Equity, and uh, Naspers. So uh, we raised uh, over 160 million, and we would uh, we're quite uh, you know, proud to say that we are one of the most capital efficient companies uh, in the sector that we are operating. And in this case, why would you say that you're more interested on impact versus value? See, for us, uh, even um, um, it, it actually goes back to the fundamental mission that we have, right, uh, which is, uh, um, uh, you know, there is in this, there's always this game of valuation or, you know, um, um, what value can you command in the market for funding. But for, for us, what's more important is that uh, how can we, I think it just ties back to the mission of how can we make this, um, you know, uh, make this platform uh, of eruditus and we have the online platform is called emeritus uh, a platform for high quality education that's accessible and affordable um, so uh, for us what's as we even as we went into our phase two with the online uh, program offerings the f- question we had or the self-doubt we had is that uh, can we at this scale can we create the learning outcomes, right? Can we achieve the learning outcomes that the participants would want from a university, from this kind of a university, the university partnerships we have, what the kind of um, expectation they have in terms of taking courses from this university. So um, that's fundamentally important. So uh, it's what's uh, um, 
so to that effect in terms of how the courses are designed and how the um i know how uh, the engagement of the participants happen on our platform and this is core to uh, the design uh, of our of our programs so can the participants meet uh, the learning outcomes that they expect to achieve at the start of the program and uh, through that you know comes impact so that's fundamentally important to us and uh, once we have that i think you know having the revenues or the valuation is a corollary so it's interesting obviously you guys have raised Uh, you know, quite a bit, you know, over 160 million uh, and from really top tier investors. And obviously those top tier investors, ultimately, they are reporting to their own limited partners, which are the investors in their own funds. And they obviously are seeking returns. So how typically, I mean, how would you, for example, like what's the process of enrolling an investor really around this so that they really also get the impact, you know, versus value? Yeah, I think uh, in fact all the investors that we have are um, you know have a longer term view that's important uh, for us. Uh, it's not to say that uh, you know the first investor we knocked our doors on uh, they opened uh, you know they laid a red carpet and uh, and welcomed us with a term sheet and uh, funds. It's it's far far from the case. It's it's also it's a two way street in the sense that we did have a lot of uh, uh, rejections in terms of the fundraise process when we intended to go out uh, first in 2015 16 and and uh, um, we we have um, zeroed in and uh, the process was vice versa is that the one the funds that the partners we have um, they have a longer view the second is uh, i think they uh, they fundamentally believe in um, the impact that they um, through our vehicle that they could create in the uh, professional education uh, market right that they're able to do and not just an impact Uh, in one geography or in one region, but globally, right? and uh, and also um, to count on some of the you know, marquee universities that we partner with. So um, I think the investors, apart from the um, for us as uh, you know the first six years, we um, at the end of six years we clocked say ten million in uh, revenue, and the next four years we have scaled it uh, to make sure that the last year we closed it at say hundred million. So that's a great growth um, and. Um, um, Obviously, our investors are quite happy, and uh, it's just that we we are still. Um, uh, if you look at the realm of um, you know uh, professional education that's out there, and uh, what we could do in terms of um, uh, in terms of a positive impact here, it's still a, it's still a very small dent. So there's a lot of headroom for us to grow and to make further impact, and uh, that's what our investors are also quite excited about uh, with the journey ahead. And obviously, around education, there's like a lot a lot happening. I mean. You have now, obviously, you, the COVID factor and how it has shifted things and influenced a little bit, you know, perhaps like where things are going to go. So how, 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 where do you think that education as a whole, like where do you think is heading? Yeah, I think uh, it's a good question, Alessandro. So the COVID uh, really has accelerated a lot of change um, uh, in terms of uh, education across sectors, be it K twelve, be it uh, you know undergrad, higher education, etc. Right. So uh, what we um, what we believe is uh, one is Uh, online is not a fad, but it's here to stay in terms of people, um, you know, uh, getting to learn or getting educated online, right? And uh, uh, what we are also already seeing is in terms of uh, uh, not just for uh, using online as a medium for upskilling or reskilling, but even for a longer duration, a degree programs, right? Or credential granting programs. Um, I think it's uh, it's becoming a huge. Um, 
um, huge medium um, and um, a lot of universities you know if you look at um, uh, some of the biggest ones as well are um, are embracing online you know um, be it in terms of launching online degrees or you know boot camps or you know um, or professional courses or certificate programs so um, I, looking ahead right so what we um, see is uh, uh, if you look at it i think maybe education is one of the least disrupted in a positive sense of uh, the word uh, sector amongst all sectors uh, you know with technology in the sense how aristotle taught centuries ago it's the same way uh, how um, i think maybe a professor teaches um, within the maybe the confines of uh, you know four walls in a classroom um, um, for maybe a decade ago so and that's fundamentally changing in terms of how people um, are taught the second thing that's changing is that uh, in terms of um, um, stackability it's not to say that uh, now there are a lot of models that are out there it's not that the entire four years for an undergrad or a, or a two years of a postgrad you need to spend at one go but you can um, accumulate your credits as you go as you work and um, as the skill set um, skill sets change um, and that's another uh, you know um, disintermediation uh, that's happening in the you know higher education sector so and all propelled by technology and online and in, in fact and covid is just accelerating that process that's really amazing uh, and i guess uh, in your guys's case i mean for the people that are listening to get an idea of the size i mean anything that you can share in terms of like employee number or anything else so we are quite a global company um, we do have um, you know right from uh, you know, time zones uh, ranging from shanghai or singapore to you know palo alto um, on the west coast so we are um, 638 team members we call it uh, we prefer team members to employees and uh, we do have presence in the uh, west coast um, where our tech technology team is based um, we have presence on the east coast uh, at off boston where um, we have our center of excellence in um, um, in learning design as well as the university partnership team is based in latin america we have a, a 60 member plus operation um, looking at the latin american market um, then uh, we also have presence in um, of course you know i'm i'm currently based in france we have presence in uk uh, we have an office in dubai india singapore and uh, shanghai so it's it's quite um, a, a global uh, operation and uh, what unites us um, or the thread that runs through is uh, our common passion in terms of uh, making this uh, um, of us being wedded to this mission that i was talking about So so talking about the mission and also the vision especially the vision imagine Chaitanya that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up 5 years later i mean imagine like you haven't slept like this in your whole life right and you wake up in a world where the vision of the business is fully realized what does that world look like yeah i think we talk about that in the company where to make the our impact 10x what i mean to say is that if over the last decade we are able to um, you know create a dent um, say with 100000 participants or students uh, around the world can we make that impact 10x right um, in in the medium term so that's what we um, um, that's what we aspire or that's what we challenge ourselves with and um, uh, so what that means is um, um, you know can we impact say 1 million uh, participants uh, in terms of uh, you know them taking programs through our platform uh, within the next within the short to medium term Very cool. You know, one of the uh, questions that I typically ask the the guests that come on the show is if you could, you know, go back in time and you could go back in time, let's say 12 years where, you know, you were like thinking about what will be next. You actually went to India and obviously you met your co-founder, but right before that, 
If you had the opportunity to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice before launching a company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, it's a very Christopher Nolan question, Alessandro. But um, the maybe the irony of this, or the uh, uh, or uh, is uh, the catch twenty two of this is that, had if I'd given that advice, maybe the chain of events wouldn't wouldn't have happened, wherein I would be talking to you today, or the or the milestones that the company had, um, you know, uh, would have happened. Um, nevertheless, um, so if I were to, uh, you know, tell my younger self, um, uh, one thing, it's, it's something that, um, one of our investors has, um, has told us, which resonates a, a lot with me is the question whenever I think in, uh, um, one is in self doubt, which, which happens a lot with entrepreneurs or you're at, um, some crossroads, the question is uh, to ask, uh, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Uh, Right, and um, I think that's one um, um, one big uh, uh, takeaway for me. Um, the idea here is that uh, uh, is to think about we were we, we always run with biases. We always um, at least uh, you know have some uh, risk averse measures uh, that we try to do, and uh, more so in terms of taking decisions. So this uh, question, um, I. I have it at the back of my mind in terms of demystifying that and to help uh, you know, think with more clarity, uh, not getting biased. I love it. So for the folks that are listening, Chaitanya, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, uh, the easiest uh, is uh, either through our website, eruditus.com or emeritus.org or through LinkedIn. Um, happy to... Um, Happy to hear a hi, and uh, you know, for those of you who have listened or endured this long in this uh, uh, in the podcast, thank you for doing so for your time. Amazing. Well, Chaitanya, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show today. Pleasure, Alexandra. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and uh, yeah, wishing you the very best. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself. Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.